0: Previously on the Seconds Flat Running Pod... We're going to skip to the 5K. I believe you predicted that if the race is between 13.50 and 14 minutes, no one will win. Absolutely not. (laughs) Okay, It (laughs) will not happen. If it's between 13.50 and 14, I will resign. And that's the moment all our listeners are talking about. Benjamin Sessions predicting... Andy Truard in the men's 5K at the NCAA Championships and stating nay, declaring if the race was won between 13.50 and 14 minutes, he would resign from the Seconds Flat Running podcast. The result, Sean McGordy of Stanford in 13.54 for the win, so what? happens next. Welcome back to the Second Flat Running Podcast. This is Travis, and I am flying solo this week because young Benjamin is on a one-show suspension. After intense negotiations and deliberations, we have decided it only for the best to accept a one-show suspension as a compromise for his... Prediction in the men's 5K and statement that he would leave the show if he was wrong. And my loss on our Campbell Runners 5K bet as well. We meet in the middle and Ben will be out this week on a beach vacation for some much needed rest, relaxation, and time for reflection on his actions. So I'm going to take you through all the excitement from last week's NCAA championships in Eugene, Oregon. But before we do that, let's look back at last show when Ben actually accurately predicted seven of the 10 events that we looked at. That means 2% per accurate correction off of your purchase at run in our presenter and we're gonna round it up. So 14%, round it up to 15 because we're so excited about Hometown Hero Ali Bukowski's finish and the 5k. Go back and listen to mile four, write down the picks that Ben nailed, and either email the show at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com or bring your written-down picks into Run In to get your discount off any full priced item. Also, we have free race entries to give away, complimentary entries from Seconds Flat and Run In for the first two listeners who email us who are interested in this weekend's Cross Country 5K on a beautiful grass course up in Tryon, North Carolina. That's Saturday, June 16th at 9 a.m. at the Foothills Equestrian and Nature Center. And if you'd like more information about the race, You can visit equitechlife.com. That's E-Q-U-I-T-E-K-L-I-F-E dot com. So, first two emailers we get to SecondsFlatPodcast at gmail.com will get free entry into the race this weekend. Let's move along to the NCAA Championships where the Georgia men and USC women are your team champs. And for us here at Seconds Flat, there were clearly two moments that were the most compelling. And they both happened on Saturday in the women's racing. The first being the very last event and a truly fitting farewell to Hayward Magic in the last major race at Hayward Field. It was the women's 4x4 University of Southern California came into the race down nine points in the team standings behind Georgia. They needed a first-place finish here to win the team title. And it didn't look good for the Trojans. After a bobbled baton pass on the final exchange, the Trojans dropped from third to fifth, and left anchor Kendall Ellis with a dead stick and a bump into the Florida anchor. 50 meters in, Ellis slid by Kentucky's K.L. Clark on the inside with minor contact. That move was later upheld after protest. Then she bided her time and stalked her prey before one of the most phenomenal, exciting unbelievable closes in NCAA championship history with Purdue easily leading at 100 meters left ESPN announcer Dwight stones proclaimed that the Boilermakers wouldn't get past unless they dropped the baton he said there was quote no way well re enter Kendall Ellis she had other ideas storming from third place she edged produce Janaea mitchell in the final meter by 0.07 seconds she popped a 50 seconds flat anchor leg and usc wins the team title by one point you have to see it to believe it get online check out the espn streaming coverage that's still available NCA Track and Field has it all over their Twitter account with great highlights from the races. This is the kind of spine-tingling drama and raw emotion that create a singular moment for our sport. We need to be sharing that clip with everyone, shouting it from the rooftops. It needs to be water cooler talk to grow Track and Field. We need everybody to see what happened in Eugene and that women's 4x4, four four, one of the great races that I've ever had the privilege to watch. And it was super cool that uh, Mike Golick, ESPN radio host, named it his win of the weekend on the same weekend that we had Rafael Nadal winning another French Open title. Uh, Justify took the horse racing triple crown, the Washington Capitals finished off the Vegas Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup final, but Golick went with USC's 4x4 close as his moment of the weekend, and we have to agree. For an exceptional stride-by-stride account of that amazing USC 4x4 comeback, check out the LA Times article written by J. Brady McCullough titled Inside the USC Women's Track Team's Relay Miracle at the NCAA Championship. Features a great read and some really cool video with the ladies. Now, moment number two has to come from the women's 5,000 meters. Our girl, Allie B, storming from fifth place with 300 meters to go all the way up into second, finishing as NCAA runner-up. This is her highest championship finish ever in her final collegiate meet. Allie is a two-time top 10 finisher in NCAA cross-country. Never had finished higher than fourth at a track meet, and if you remember in last week's episode, she mentioned hitting that high-reaching goal of a top-three finish. And she did it. A furious kick off the last curve, passing two competitors down the stretch. Allie ended with a 66.5-second last lap, the fastest in the field, and one of only two women to break 67 on that lap. And she claimed some pretty good scalps down the stretch, too, including New Mexico star Edna Kurgott. 10K champ, Sharon Locati of Kansas, and last year's 10K champ, Charlotte Taylor of San Francisco. To hear more from Allie, check out Mile 4 for our interview with her. She comes into the show at about minute 25, breaks down her training approach, her mental approach, and her preparation for that race. And it's really neat to look back now and know that all that tremendous effort paid off for Allie. What a finish to her career. We are so excited about her performance. It was Missouri's Carissa Schweitzer who got the win in the 5K, coming off what for her was a bit of a disappointing performance in the 10K as she slipped to third at the end of the race. However, that third place performance and those of the women ahead of her, as well as several behind her, all beat previous meet records. Let's take a look at some of the other highlights from the NCAAs. What a time to be a member of a USC 4x4, as the men took that crown as well in an NCAA record 2 minutes and 59 seconds after relay member Rye Benjamin ran the second fastest time in world history in the 400 hurdles. We're talking move-over Edwin Moses kind of territory with that time. And Michael Norman set a collegiate record in the Open 400. So it was a 4x4 four four sweep from the Trojans' fight on victory, V for USC. In the short sprints for the men, it was Houston dominating the action. But fans were really talking about Brian Barraza, the Cougar who took a nasty fall. In the last lap of the 3K steeplechase, Baraza boldly went to the front of the pack early, nearly leading wire to wire, but took a spill and face-planted with just over 300 meters to go. He then staggered back to his feet and fell out of scoring contention. It was then NCA leader Absa Ali from Minnesota who took the win. He held back, trusted his kick... And in the post-race interview, seemed to be in a great deal of shock at what happened to Barraza, as well as his own victory. However, later in the meet, there was a really special moment, one of our favorites from the weekend. And that was hearing 100-meter champion Cameron Burrell dedicate his victory to his teammate Barraza. It showed a great dynamic between teammates, which can be especially difficult to build in track and field across disciplines. Guys who are training for sprints versus field versus distance races often have practices that look like they could be from very different sports. So while Barraza may have been reckless in his race approach, it's also very possible that he and his coaches felt it was the best way that he could score enough points to keep Houston in overall title contention. Barraza went for it and came up short, but his teammates recognized his effort and his commitment to something greater than himself. So hats off to sprint coaches Leroy Burrell and Carl Lewis and distance coach Steve Magnus for doing something larger than just scoring points in Houston. If you enjoyed watching the meet and want to learn more about historic Hayward Field, tune into Mile 3.1 where we break down some of the great moments there. Outside of the action, I'd like to touch on the coverage just a little bit. There's a little different crew working for ESPN on their championship coverage this year. We did not see longtime distance analyst Larry Rawson, a legend of the sport, who unfortunately might be a bit past his prime. Dan O'Brien joined the team with indoor track in the winter, and he got off to a rocky start, but I thought he was much better this week in the outdoor coverage, and hopefully the former Decathlon legend can continue to refine his announcing and bring something more to the table. I was a little disappointed in Dwight Stones, who I normally feel does a pretty good job on field coverage. He struggled with some of the teams, some of the names, some of the scoring, for example, he seemed completely unaware of Jessica Drop's critical performance in the 5K for Georgia. Her two points are what stretched the Georgia lead to nine going into the 4x4, and if she had finished one place higher, we would have ended in a national championship tie. We discussed Drop's significance here in our NCAA championship preview show, yet Stone said during the race that Georgia could not score any points in the 5K. Moreover, he really struggled with our own Allie B, not really knowing who she was in the race and butchering her name on a couple occasions. And improving the coverage of track and field and road racing is going to be a big step in making our sport more popular and easier to watch on TV. Unfortunately, we live in a soundbite and Twitter 140-character world with a degree of intellectual superficiality, and rather than focusing in on a story like the Burrell-Barraza relationship, the highlights Friday night after the men's action focused in on Barraza's fall, because it's a tragic, easily consumable moment for viewers, Our hope here is that we can continue to bring some more detailed discussion of what's actually happening in the world of track and field and road racing, and give a little more depth and analysis to advance the conversation of our sport. Just a few other tidbits from the meet, there were some impressive performances given the conditions in Eugene. We saw records fall left and right despite cold, rainy, windy weather So this was an incredible showcase for our elite collegiate athletes. Certainly among the elite, but not a record breaker at this event, is Kentucky's Sydney McLaughlin. In a ho-hum performance by her standards, McLaughlin cruised in the 400-meter hurdles to an NCAA championship and came back and laid down a pretty nice split as the third leg, not the anchor like Ben predicted, in her team's 4x4 four four later, McLaughlin, immediately after the meet, announced that she would be turning professional. Remember, she was an Olympian in high school, and frankly, she has seen little competition in her specialty event, the 400 hurdles. And she may immediately move to the front of the World Professional Pack in that event as well. We'll be looking forward to seeing what kit she wears at U.S. Championships this summer. But it seems like she has a pretty good dynamic with Coach Edric Florial, and maybe staying under his training would be wise for our young star, who we hope to see at the Olympics for years to come, representing the red, white, and blue. And back to that men's 5K, how about Sean McGordy, who has to be one of the feel-good stories of the meet? He missed an extended period of time with injury. And always the bridesmaid, but never the bride, much like myself. McGordy has been overshadowed by Edward Cesarek for so long. Cesarek's dominance in the distance events in recent years at NCAAs has hidden just how good McGordy has been when he has been at his best. He has PRs of 353.95 in the mile. And 1324 in the 5K. When you compare that to some of the recent great Americans like Galen Rupp and Chris Zielinski, he stacks up really nicely. So it's cool to see a victory for a good guy like McGordy. And how about Michigan's Ben Flanagan in the 10K? He drops a 42nd PR to win a national championship in an event that he was unable to even qualify for nationals in last year. Flanagan then followed up with one of the great lines of the meet as he stormed through the finish line, and the first thing he exclaimed was, "'Where's my mom?' After out-kicking Vincent Kiprop of Alabama in the last lap, Kiprop made the race fun by taking the first 200 out in 29 seconds." but maybe he regretted that move at the end when Flanagan had just a little bit more juice. Elsewhere, there was some great professional action last week with two Diamond League meetings, the first in Oslo, Norway, where the highlight was a bit of a low light in the women's 3K steeplechase, where one of the barriers was set at the men's height While watching live coverage, I noticed world champion Emma Coburn from the United States waving her arms wildly, trying to get the attention of race officials, and we later figured out why. On the NBC replay of the action, you saw a number of women in the mid to back of the pack just running into the barrier, imagine being buried behind other competitors without the sight line someone has at the front in the steeplechase coming up to a barrier, assuming you know the height that it's going to be to approach it, and then finding out it is higher than one that you've ever jumped before. The officials rushed on the track to make some repairs as the women sped down the straightaway, but the damage was already done for many of the competitors. And ultimately, Coburn made an incredible kick in the final lap falling just short of the victory. Several days later, in Stockholm, Sweden, a pair of teenage field athletes absolutely stole the show. Just 18 and 19 years old respectively, Mondo Duplantis in the pole vault and Juan Miguel Echevarria in the long jump. Let's start with Mondo. The 18-year-old Louisianan gets his first Diamond League victory. It wasn't even his PR, but he took down rival Sam Kendricks for the win. Get on board with the catapulting Cajun right now, people, and enjoy one of the neatest events in all of sports. Mondo was Benji's pick after the pre-classic as the young pup with the brightest future. And he is quickly living up to those expectations. Now, it was the Cuban Missile Echevarria in the long jump, 28 feet, 11.5 inches. Somebody get this man some more sand. He was nearly hurling himself entirely through the pit. Now, the jump was slightly wind-aided, 0.1 miles per hour over the record-eligible limit. Had it been a legal jump, this would have been the longest jump since Mike Powell set the world record over a quarter century ago. Echevaria has already been an indoor world champion, and the future is bright for both he and Mondo to us. As an aside from Stockholm, the meet is held at the historic Stockholm Stadium, a relic from the 1912 Olympics and a fitting monument to the passion for track and field that exists in Scandinavia. Here in the United States, the stadium is perhaps most reminiscent of a smaller scale version of Franklin Field at the University of Pennsylvania, home to the Penn Relays, And I think we could have learned some valuable lessons about stadium preservation and modernization from Stockholm for application in Eugene as we prepare our shrine to the sport, Hayward Field, for the 2021 World Championship while retaining its most historic elements. That Stockholm stadium at over 100 years old has seen scores of world records broken And it's really a breathtaking monolith, maybe something we could have had here as well with appropriate renovation rather than destruction at Hayward. So that's going to be it for this week, keeping it short and sweet, but we didn't want to leave you without a little wrap up of what happened at the NCAA championships. And we have exciting news coming from Seconds Flat Coaching. If you're looking for individually tailored training plans, motivation, technique, form, and strength ideas, we'll have all that and more. Get in touch with Seconds Flat because we are going to have some really exciting coaching programs coming. There will be more details on that to follow soon. On the next episode, our man Benji returns from exile. The dynamic duo is back in action. And we're excited. We're going to discuss our summer reading list recommendations. These are our favorite running books that are about more than just running. And remember to email us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com for a free race entry at Tryon North Carolina's 5K this weekend. And if you would like to get that discount with the race predictions that Ben hit on the head last week, As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate your support. And we will see you next time on the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Have a great week.